Presented by Trader Joe's, I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel. We are taping this a few hours after the national title game. Stu is in Indianapolis. He was at the game. I am in San Antonio. I'm at the coaches' convention. So, Stu, you're on the site. You did, you. Uh, what was your reaction of being in the building? I know you weren't able to be down on the field at the end of the game, but um, finally yeah, had a national that- title game that was close. That's the thing. I was really, I am really excited to have been back at a national championship game after missing last year's. That was the first one I'd missed in a long time. I will say, Bruce, and you've covered many of these, it didn't feel like I was covering the national championship game necessarily because of what you just said. Like normally you go down on the field beforehand when the teams are warming up, you can kind of sense the electricity in the building and you go up and watch most of the game from the press box. Then you go back down at the end and you I mean, as you know, like that scene when the team is celebrating, you're, you know, you, you don't get that kind of color and emotion after a regular season game. And then you even get to go in the locker room. Um, but because of COVID, none of that was, you know, we, we were not allowed to do any of that. So, you know, it's, you're at an NFL stadium. It's an enclosed press box. You don't you can hear the crowd, but not at this normal sound. So basically, I just felt like I kind of like I watched the game on television inside the stadium. Um, it was a good game. I know some people say, oh, it's two SEC teams. I don't care about that, et cetera, et cetera. You know, after three low-scoring quarters, we had two huge momentum changes back to back to back um, in a short time. And I thought that last for the fourth quarter of the game um, was incredibly entertaining as we waited to see like, at what point did you feel like, okay, Georgia's actually going to do this? Because there's that part of you that's just like, oh, they're going to screw it up. They're going to screw it up. I would say it was when Bryce Young threw the pick six late in the game. I think there was a minute left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, a couple of things stood out. Obviously, Alabama's already without John Mechie. And then when Jamison Williams goes down, like, okay, they're really – hamstrung um, in terms of their firepower when your two top two receivers are out. And then they struggled in the red zone. Credit to Georgia on that. I think the thing that that really stood out to me was Georgia ran only 56 plays. (laughs) Bryce Young threw 57 passes. Um, It it had a really uh, different flow to the game. And I thought Georgia's front was much more dominant this time around and I give a lot of credit to Georgia and certainly but I thought you know when when there was a couple of situations where I was like oh if Alabama doesn't capitalize this they're just kind of letting this not letting this because it was Georgia was doing it but I just thought it was kind of more playing into Georgia's hands and you felt like um it was after the after he throws the pick, it's like, all right, it's over. But I still felt like, you know, up till that moment, Alabama was going to be able to find a way to get it into overtime. And then all of a sudden it's like Georgia's at that point is not just playing against Alabama, they're playing against Georgia too. 
and it didn't happen. Credit to Georgia, they made the plays. They put a lot of pressure on Bryce Young. I thought even things like the two-point play where Bryce Young didn't even get to like the five-yard line on it because you just saw the athleticism of the Georgia defense. And that really was an impressive performance by the Bulldogs. Yeah, this was the Georgia defense that we saw in every game but the SEC championship. And your scouting report that you did talking to the coaches turned out to be spot on. You know, I was watching closely to see what kind of blitzes and disguises they were doing on defense. It was not quite as straight up as it was uh, in the SEC title game. And that Alabama offensive line, it's just not great this year. It wasn't that great this year. And they did get pressure on Bryce Young. I don't know how you can possibly, you know, try to figure out what might have happened if the Jamison Williams injury doesn't happen. And by the way, just awful to see the All-American receiver, a guy who many think could be the number one receiver taken in the draft, suffer what appears to be a pretty serious knee injury in the national championship game. Uh, and that's on top of them already losing John Mechie. So with 2,000-yard receivers out, it's actually kind of amazing that Bryce Young threw for you know, 370-ish yards uh, that they still had guys left for him to throw to. But credit the Georgia defense because in the first half, it really felt like Alabama was suffocating them on both sides of the ball. And yet when he, when uh, when they blocked the field goal, I was like, all right, they're only down 9-6, even though it feels like Alabama's dominating. And then Georgia scored, um, you know, the long James Cook touchdown run after that. And I felt like once that happened, once he it was a 66-yard touchdown or 67-yard touchdown, six, then it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I think they can do this, right? Because they've had this huge monkey on their back. And after what happened in the last Alabama game, and now you start out in the game and, you're, and you can't get in the end zone, is Stetson Bennett really ever going to be able to pull this off? Oh, okay. That was a big play. And then the Stetson Bennett story is just unbelievable. I mean, in this day and age when – Everybody wants that five-star quarterback, and they're transferring, and they're changing teams overnight. And certainly Georgia had one in Justin Fields, and he bolted to Ohio State and took them to the playoff. That of all the guys to lead Georgia to their first national title in 41 years, it's a former walk-on who went to Juco, who came back, who was like the fourth-string quarterback, and frankly, only ever became Alabama's starter out of attrition after uh you know uh jamie newman ended up opting out and jt daniels got hurt and remember Dwan mathis who was briefly ahead of him you know he's a temple now like all the things it took for him to get the job and then lead them to the national championship that's a really cool story yeah it i mean i really didn't think it in the context of this but you know, you just said Justin Fields, and some of these guys were high four stars as opposed to five stars, Justin Fields was, but obviously Jacob Eason, and there's so many other quarterbacks who were unable to do it. Um, I did think, you, you know, like, I don't know, it was two hours after the game, and I saw, like, I was in a, in a sports bar with a bunch of football coaches, so I didn't wasn't hearing anything from the game, but after I watched online, Stetson Bennett, a couple of his comments in the post-game interview, and, um, you know, it just it kind of, like, kind of washed over me about, I know his story, I've, you know, written about it as well as a lot of other people have, but just, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff kind of comes back when you, you hear him talk and you see him where 
you know, I think it's very, like, there's, I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, I think, in the post game, and all of a sudden it's like you're having a player who anybody who wins a national title, the dream come true, that's the big cliche, but he's dealing with that emotion. Then somebody, in this case, Holly Rowe, is asking him to be very reflective. And it's, I can only imagine how hard that is to navigate some of that. And I thought some of the things he said, but I came back to because I believe in myself. And I thought that was a very, very um, strong message in, you know, in the course of that. And, um, you know, he bounced back and showed how resilient he is. And for all the, you know, when we talk about all the stars and, you know, how loaded, you know, the recruiting has been for Georgia. The guy who got it done, you know, with obviously surrounded by a lot of talent, was this guy at one point coming out of high school as a no-star recruit. You lived in the state of Georgia for five years or so. Um, you know a lot of Georgia grads and, and whatnot. I mean, this has been such a drought in terms of, like, you know, Georgia with all the talent around them and all the resources. It's kind of crazy that they went this long. Um, what do you think of when was, I mean, I don't want to put you in the, in the shoes of somebody who grew up in Georgia because obviously you didn't, but for people who are there yeah. and now to see it, what goes through your mind seeing how this kind of finished? Well, I, I did live there for five years out of college and, you know, one of my friends I made, uh, shout him out here, Jonathan Gans, who worked at CNSI with me. I saw him here. Uh, we went to lunch. He's, you know, he's a super you know as, as diehard a Georgia fan as you can get and the amount of painful heartbreaking losses he has endured over the years you know just since Kirby Smart's been there frankly with the um the second and 26 and the weird fake punt in the SEC championship game and whatnot um the SEC championship game this December that they thought they were going to win uh you know it's just it, it, it doesn't get any better for that fan base and you could feel it in the stadium. I should have said this off the top. That stadium was 80% Georgia fans. Uh, you're so used to seeing lots of Alabama fans at wherever they play in these championships. But I think because it was so, they do this every year. It's Indianapolis in January. Um, they didn't make the trip for this one, but the Georgia fans sure did. And so the stadium just kind of, it was like you were at a Georgia home game. And when something good happened, the stadium erupted. And when something bad happened, and so... The something bad where you thought, oh, no, I can't believe this is going to happen to them again, was the weird Stetson Bennett incompletion that turned out to be a fumble recovered by Alabama. I can tell you, I don't know what it was like watching it on TV. Nobody in the stadium had any inclination that was a fumble. The Alabama player who recovered it seemed to like recover it by accident. He wasn't you know, making like some sort of urgent play to, to recover the ball in balance. He just kind of casually scooped it up and then the official comes on and says uh the call on the field is a fumble that's recovered by alabama and it's and everybody's like what now when they showed about a thousand replays on tv they finally found one that did indeed confirm that that was the right call but the georgia fans didn't know that they were booing for the whole next series um because they thought they were screwed over so this is a long way of getting back to what you said about stetson bennett and his comments afterward he kept getting asked about that play, and he said, I, that, I was going to make sure that fumble did not decide the game. I was not going to be the reason we lost this game. And that 
that that takes a lot of guts. That takes a lot of like faith in your own abilities. Um, given that things have gone south for him in these big games before. So we've talked a lot about Stetson Bennett and this Georgia team over the course of the year. If I told you four months ago that Stetson Bennett would be the most outstanding offensive player in the national title game and lead the Georgia Bulldogs to a national title, because I don't know if anybody would have been that shocked that Georgia would win the national title, but I think most people uh, assumed it was going to be JT Daniels who was going to do it. Right. I mean, if you go back to last season, everything seemed to you know get better for them once JT Daniels took over. It was oh, now they have a real offense. So any notion they were going to win it all this year involved him, the five-star guy from Southern California as the quarterback. When he got hurt and Stetson Bennett took back over, I don't think it, I mean, at first it was, you know, you assumed it was temporary. But I watched a lot of Georgia games this year because they were the number one team in the country and they were on CBS seemingly every week. And I think it, it, it became evident to me, certainly sooner than it did to you and a lot of people, that like, Hey, actually, he's pretty good. He's doing exactly what they need to do. Their defense is so good. They're, they're only giving up 10, 13 points to these teams. He doesn't need to be Bryce Young. Um, he's avoiding mistakes. He's doing what they need to do in that offense. Now, SEC Championship game, not so much. But when he came back and played the way he did against Michigan and just, I mean, shredded a, a very good Michigan team, that should I would hope that was the moment people realized, yeah, this guy's actually pretty good. He can do it. Now... You would know better than me. Is Stetson Bennett, does Stetson Bennett have a chance to even get drafted? I wouldn't think so. Um, I mean, just on measurables, you know, he's a good athlete. You can see him run around and extend plays. It's just in terms of the physical size, um, you know, I think that's a tall ask for, you know, it's not like he's got a – you know, a big, big arm to get the ball there. And they don't ask him to do a ton of that stuff. So my guess is he probably wouldn't be because, again, you're talking about a guy who's who's 5'11", and to be that, to be under six feet, you know, you have to be a plus athlete. Like like Kyler Murray is is a little smaller, shorter, but he's now thicker. And Kyler Murray has a big arm and is much more dynamic athlete. Now, he went the first pick in the draft, but I would be surprised if Stetson Bennett will get drafted. I just, it would surprise me. I don't even know if he's going to try. I mean, first of all, he, he does have, believe it or not, another year of eligibility because of COVID if he wants it. Uh, Seth Emerson, RB writer, Georgia B writer, does, is, he doesn't know what he's going to do. He tends to think now that he's won that he will, you know, call it a career. And he may just call it, call it a career. Why would he not want to keep playing? Go out on a high note. Go out as a champion. Um, you maybe can uh, win two. You maybe can win back to back. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think he's got he's got a decision to make. But he's been in college for what five years already? Six years? Sixteen? Is he a sixth year senior? Uh, he was twenty seventeen class. Okay, so he could come back for a sixth year of college, and maybe he will. There have been some surprising uh, around college football in general. Uh, DTR is coming back to UCLA for a fifth season. Uh, Tanner Morgan is back at Minnesota for what seems like his 14th season. Like, there's a lot of those this year, so maybe maybe he'll do that. Um, But if he doesn't, 
like I don't even know necessarily that he would go to the combine or 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 like I think he knows that his I'm doubting his, he would get invited. To yeah, the I combine, I think he knows his football career will end when whenever he plays his last game at Georgia, whether that was the one he just played or the one a year from now. I want to talk about the Georgia defense. Um, it's you know it's, it was statistically dominant for 12 games. They had a bad game again the SEC championship game. And then they came back out and shut down Michigan for uh, basically the whole game and then um, dominated the second half against Alabama. Um, there's just, they're so deep. You know, one of the names that uh, that we I kept hearing uh, throughout the game making plays um, for Georgia, as I pull it up. Was there was William Poole, DB? Um, he finished with four tackles, uh, half tackle for loss, two pass breakups, and he's not a starter. He's not a starter. He's not like one of their. Um, I don't even know if he's necessarily listed in the two deep, but that's how deep that defense is. They've just got guy after guy after guy, and most of these guys are going to be off the NFL, and they're going to kind of start over next year with their next wave of five stars. But um, you know. I think it'll be interesting as you look back. Usually it takes a little bit of distance to look back and say, my gosh, I can't believe they had all of these NFL players on the team at the same time. I definitely think between uh, N'Kobe Dean, Nolan Smith, uh, Devontae Wyatt, obviously Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter is not eligible yet, but he'll certainly be one of those guys. Um, This was an all-timer. Yeah, look, Jalen Carter, the, the coaches I talked to played him. They thought Jalen Carter is the most talented guy on the defensive line. Jalen Carter is not even a starter. So right. that speaks to the depth they have. Um, you know, it it's it was an interesting thing because, like, you're sitting there. I saw the post-game clip of Nick Saban really lauding uh, Bryce Young and Will Anderson, and I thought it was a, a, a good gesture of it. Obviously, these are like um, – there's like they're not going anywhere, right? Both of those guys are coming back. So you have arguably the best uh, offensive player in college football, and most certainly the best defensive player in college football. So you know, I think I don't think anyone's going to look at this and go, oh, you know, this is going to, you know, Alabama's not going to be loaded again. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn talent solutions when you are hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role that's why you have to check out linkedin jobs linkedin jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free linkedin isn't just a jobs board linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. 
They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You have your early top 25. It should be up by the time people listen to this. Um, mm -hmm. Did you have any any second thoughts or last thoughts before you posted after watching the game tonight? No, I knew what, knew what the top was going to look like uh, before the game was played. Um, Alabama's the clear number one. I mean, how crazy it is it that, like you said, both Bryce Young and Willie Anderson will be back. Um, I think, you know, their defense was not as great as it usually is this this year. Um, but you had guys like Dallas Turner, who was really good as a freshman. Kool-Aid McKinstry, the cornerback, was a freshman. They're getting Eli Ricks from LSU. Um, he's already got Jameer, Jamar Gibbs, the running back from Georgia Tech, uh, to replace Brian Robinson. You know, Alabama, if there, if there's not a lot of certainties in life, but I have a feeling next year's game, which is in your backyard, by the way, at uh, SoFi Stadium, that Alabama will be in it. I won't go so far as to say they win it, but that they'll be in it. But Ohio State's loaded, too. Um, and you saw it in the Rose Bowl. Hard to believe that you're going to get that another year um, of C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba and, and Travion Henderson's only going into his sophomore year. Um, Jim Knowles coming in to take over that defense. Um, Oklahoma State safety, Tanner McAllister, has already followed him there. To me, I always knew I'd have those one, two, and Georgia three. After that, I think, you know, I know I'm not the only one that does an early top 25, and I'm sure... We'll all have um, that. Our all of ours will probably look a little bit different once you get past those first three. Uh, before we go, this we kind of foreshadowed this a little bit the last episode. So you spent every you spent back to back days, I think, waiting out the CFP meetings, and as mm -hmm. expected, they disappointed and didn't get anything right. Not only that, it has turned contentious. Um, so, yes, they met, the commissioners met Saturday. I wasn't here yet. They met Saturday. They met Sunday. And then on Monday morning, the day of the game, they have their annual meeting where they, it's them and the, uh, the presidents, the board of presidents that oversee it. And they could not agree. You know, it has to be unanimous. They could not agree to a playoff format um, where all parties are on board. And in particular, I think Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, is not a very popular man right now. By all indications, they're the, the biggest uh, holdup. And for reasons we don't quite understand. Like, they're, they're, everybody else is at 12, and they're still fighting for 8. And um, everybody else is, you know, not everybody else, but most of the others feel like there's some urgency that this system is growing stale and that we need to get something done as soon, sooner than later. They want to take their time. And um, when the meetings ended on Monday, we, you know, we do these stakeouts and you see the first commissioner come out, okay, everybody gathers around, probably about 15 of us. And But they always try to defer to Bill Hancock. Bill will speak for the group. Bill will speak for the group. Bob Bowlesby, I don't think Bob Bowlesby cares anymore. <laughs> After the past year, He's at that state where, like, you just say whatever you want. And uh, he was pretty blunt about it. 
He's like, you know, it's Groundhog Day. We just keep meeting. Nothing ever changes. Um, he basically, and again, he didn't specifically call out any particular conference. We just know from our reporting. It's the ACC. It's the Big Ten that is, you know, drawing a line in the sand that the automatic berths have to be for the Power Five. Um, the Pac-12 is is trying to protect the Rose Bowl. That's holding things up a little bit. Um Bowlesby said that in 2012, when they were going from the BCS to the CFP, he's like, you know, Mike Slive and Jim Delaney had a lot of differences, but they put them aside to come up with something that was the best for college football. That is not happening right now. People are just kind of putting their own agendas above the group. And the result is that barring some sort of 11th hour reversal, this thing's going to stay in place for another four years. So a couple of things. First... Do you think because it was it became expected from the summer that it was going to be expanded? Like, if they did not have those conversations, that did not share that optimism, and basically announced that they were going there, do you think this would feel like such a letdown if they hadn't walked it there in the first place? No, of course not. I'll never understand why they did that. One of the commissioners told me he thinks if they had never done that, that they actually would be agreeing to this thing by now um that that set a narrative that then um you know certain parties felt a pressure to let me back up a second there's a lot of politics at play here the main thing that i now realize that i just kind of didn't fully um grasp the how much weight it was carrying is you know as we've heard a million times those four commissioners bowlesby sankey craig thompson and Jack Swarbrick, Notre Dame's AD, you know, they, they put them on a working group that spent two years studying expansion, came up with this format. In the two years, though, the ACC changed commissioners, the Big Ten changed commissioners, and the Pac-12 changed commissioners. And I think they came out of it and said, wait, why weren't the new guys came over and said, wait, why did you let these four decide this for the whole group? Why weren't we involved? You know what? We're not going to be rushed into doing anything. We want to have our say. And I definitely think that is such a factor that, to your point, if they had just not announced anything in June and kind of just kept holding some meetings, they might have come to something by now. But um, for whatever reason, hurt feelings and ego are um, impeding progress. And I'm not saying that that 12-team proposal was perfect. Um, but think about it. I just told you the ACC is the main one opposing this. You... Your ACC champ this year, Pitt, their quarterback didn't bother to play in the bowl game. They lost. Why would you not be in favor of something where Pitt in the system would go to a playoff? Maybe they'd win the playoff game, and you know you'd have something more to brag about than a than a Peach Bowl win. Um, it's it boggles the mind. So the question I have, and I don't know if you have an answer for this or not, but. Uh, when it, as it relates to Jim Phillips, who is the former athletic director at Northwestern uh, and worked at Notre Dame, what what do you have you gleaned, or what do you suspect is the reason why the ACC is so reluctant to walk down the road? It, what is the Notre Dame component of if there is one? So publicly. And to his colleagues, he has mostly emphasized, I mean, do you remember, I didn't think much of it at the time, but do you remember when Davos Swinney was asked about this thing and he said, oh, we wouldn't want to do that. 
um, you know, the players. We don't want to make them play that many extra games. And I think Mac Brown may have said something similar. And you kind of thought, yeah, okay, you know, you guys aren't deciding it. Well, Phillips took that step pretty seriously. Um, and I think he probably talked to all the teams. And so he's relaying concerns about players playing too many games, which, by the way, is a totally valid concern. Um, Greg Sankey's take on that, though, is there's other things we can do in terms of um, you know, why do we keep stopping the clock after first down, like things like that that could shorten the amount of plays over the course of the season to kind of compensate for that. So that's the thing he keeps bringing up. But what it really is, let's be honest, if you go to a 12-team playoff with six at-large berths, that's great for Notre Dame, right? They could finish 10th and go to the playoff. If you go to an 18 playoff with six automatic berths, that's only two spots for Notre Dame. They're not going to make it nearly as often. So he wanted an 18 playoff so that Notre Dame would feel forced to join the ACC. But he hasn't been able to get any allies. They're the only conference still pushing for eight. So what's going to happen is, and we were, I think we were kind of hoping there'd be some sort of resolution. Even if it was, we're not changing, just just end this already. Stop holding these meetings. Nope. The presidents have asked that the commissioners meet again in a few weeks to try one more time to hash out their differences. So there's still a sliver of hope there, but it would take some people getting over some things that to this point they have not relented on. How would you feel real quick? How would you feel if they that if that ends up being the verdict and we're gonna do the same fourteen playoff we have now for four more years? Like I asked Greg Sankey today, like, don't you because Greg Sankey's thing is we don't need a bigger playoff. We you know, we we dominate the four team system. We're we're the last ones that need a twelve team playoff, but we support it because we don't think it's healthy for the Pac-12 to never be in the playoff and, you know, um, large parts of the country to not be involved. So I said, aren't you worried that if this does stay in place for another four years, it's going to do real damage to the sport? And he didn't go quite there, um, but he definitely expressed bewilderment that the people that are holding this up are the people who would stand most to benefit from it. Well, isn't this, wouldn't it be cynical, and I don't want to be cynical by saying this, but like, if you expand, you're probably going to make a lot more money for it. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know if I buy that, you know, what you just said. If they don't expand, they're doing serious harm to the game. I don't know if I buy that. Well, we'll see. I don't know if it'll be by the time this comes out, but we'll see what the TV rating was for the two SEC teams playing a rematch in the championship game, which, by the way, in the 12-team proposal, because Georgia wouldn't be an automatic berth, they would have met in the semis, not the championship. Expanding the playoff, Bruce, is not about changing who wins the national championship or trying to end Alabama's dynasty. It's, I mean, just where we live out west, every year, you know, they're seemingly like out of the playoff picture by early November, and they have no real reason to be invested in the rest of the race. And so it's just, I just think it's healthier for the sport if that conference and all the conferences have a stake in it all the way to the end. Um, and you would have thought this year with Ohio State players opting out of the Rose Bowl that that would be a wake-up call of even the Rose Bowl isn't considered the end-all, be-all anymore. But we're not not sensing that urgency. Mm. Well, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I think we better end the podcast because it's 
3 a.m. where I am and 2 a.m. where you are, and I and I can hear you falling asleep as we record this. It's an annual tradition, by the way, on the post national championship uh, episode that Bruce falls asleep. So um, Bruce has to anyway. get up early tomorrow morning to go have breakfast with somebody. So I know you're working the sources. You're we didn't even get a chance to talk about what's going on in San Antonio. Probably more eventful. The most eventful thing at the national championship game, by the way was that in Indianapolis, was that at halftime they had St. Elmo shrimp cocktail in the press box. Right, now, you've, you've been in enough press boxes where you've seen sports writers line up before halftime to get a hot dog. Can you imagine what it was like for shrimp cocktail? Yeah, that's a very good uh, local delicacy there. So this episode, obviously, we focused on the National Championship game because it just happened. But as we get into the offseason, there's a lot going on. Uh, Caleb Williams, next school... Um, coordinator hires being made. The NFL jobs are now open, may well lead to another domino. We shall see. So I have a feeling when we get back together again with you guys next time, there will be more college football news to discuss. And as always, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.